Welcome everybody to another episode of Strife's Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife and this week we're going to review a game that I completed on a YouTube channel over on my gameplay channel. As people know I'm doing the gameplay videos on one channel and then I'm saving these for a different channel as reviews. Um, and this week we're going to do Legend of Mana and I'm doing this as a kind of a buffer recording in the morning before work because I know that this one's not going to take all that long to do. I'm not saying that Legend of Mana is an unsubstantial game. What I am saying is that it is a game that has some good points and for the time still feels good as a game. But it doesn't have that same aura to it that I would say some of the other Mana games like Secret of Mana or Secret of Mana 2 had. And a lot of it does come down to the way it is structured. And to be fair, I think Secret of Mana 3 does this a little bit, but the more so Legend of Mana and the way it presents itself. For a genre that is very story-heavy, this game decides to do something different. It decides to be a choose-your-own-adventure storybook with 67 to 70 different mini-stories. Some of them, you know, five or ten stories in amongst themselves as the main story arcs. But what that ends up doing is it lends itself to being a shorter experience, a more concise experience. If this was like a mobile game, I think this would have been amazing. But this was developed back in the PS1 era. And yes, it was remastered, and I played the PS4 version, so there is easy access. And I definitely, I definitely would vouch for this game, but for different reasons than you would think. Um, but we'll start with what is there of a story, because really the characters are contained inside the stories. There is no main character, because you pick a male or female, you pick a dork face, a silent protagonist, a only has one word of spoken, well, two words of spoken dialogue. And then, you know, you basically see the world unfold. But you're in this world of Fadiel, which has been governed by the mana tree and the seven or eight spirits of nature. And the world has kind of been torn into different pieces because of wars and things like that. These are all backdrops to the stories that we left we're in. And the monetree itself is corrupted. You don't know that until really late in the end, but really the monetree is, I guess, lonely and without purpose and just becomes dark. And your job is to see the world unfold and to do these stories and then you end up fighting the monetree itself or what its dark manifestation is. But a lot of it really boils down to three main story arcs. And I went in the order of the fairy arc, which was a story of a priestess named Matilda who had powers, but was, um, I guess, corrupted by someone named Erwin, who was a demon. Their friend Escad tried to stop them and kept saying, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, don't fall for this guy. Matilda heard nothing of it, and then she became an old woman because her power was taken from her. So she is under the delusion that Erwin cares about her, and to an extent he does, but it's left open, 
ended and tends to be a very tragic and bittersweet tale. There's another character named Dana involved, and you have to kind of pick a side. Are you with Escad, who is basically just power-hungry for a just cause, but is angry at the situation? Or do you fall in line with Dana, who tries to just play it safe and play everybody's side? Well, in the end, you have to fight Erwin anyway. But... Really, the story is how does Matilda coincide her feelings when the fact of the matter is she's being played? And the game ends up telling you that she's being played, but she doesn't recognize it. Because love makes us do stupid things. You know, love makes us do very, very stupid things. And we don't recognize a thing for what it is because we're under this illusion. But that tale is usually considered one of the better ones. I'm not as big on it just because I don't like the characters so much, but I think it has a good message of being cautious of what you would, you know, appearances can be deceiving and all that. I like the story in general, which was fine. Um, the second story arc was Dragoon. You get sucked into the underworld about two or three hours into the game, like you do, and you're basically coerced for fear of death by this guy to help his lord Draconis. So Lark takes you in and says, hey, fight your way down here and find Draconis and then go find these MacGuffins and then you can see what's happening. His sister in the overworld, Sierra, is probably telling you this is a, this is a falsehood. This is a mistake. Lark knows it is. That's weird, to be honest, that he would do this, but he ends up saying if Draconis revives then he himself will revive but it's up to you and sierra and her master vadis i believe you know because you're doing separate story arcs to see this unfold and you end up going to sierra's side and she joins you and you have to fight up this fuck off tower and beat up draconis and all that it's it's okay i think the final area is a bit too long for my takes but it's not the worst I think what really sets the Legend of Mana arc and game apart and what they're going to do an anime based on is the Jumi arc. And the Jumi arc is this very intricate, very subdued like race of people known as Jumi who are essentially living embodiments of crystals. You know, lapis lazulis, diamonds, pearls, sapphires, rubies, emeralds, all that stuff. So those kinds of things. If those cores get damaged, they die. If a certain character known as Aclarius uses her tears, his or her tears, they die too after a while. Or they get sick, you know, that sort of thing. But it helps heal other Jumi. So one of them goes absolutely apeshit and says, I'm going to steal them all and I'm going to save my friend. And then everybody else is like, dude, you're fucking nuts. Stop this. You're going to ruin us. So so it's kind of like a doomed race of people. But the allure of these people made of like class systems and one of them is a knight protecting a guardian who has the power to ascend to that healer mentality known as Aclarius. So the stratification of the gems and the allure of it, some of the stuff they get into with the characters is really cool. I'm very curious to see what they do with an animated version of it because that was my favorite story arc. It's the longest term story arc in the game because you're 
constantly dealing with this jewel hunter, Sandra, who's constantly being a bitch. You're dealing with Pearl, who has a hidden side, who ends up being the best character in the fucking game. Um, but you only get to use her like two or three times, but she's fucking amazing. Um, and, and you see it unfold. And you, in, interestingly enough, you see these characters kind of wander around the world and you don't get into their storylines until later. The game is only about 20 to 30 hours. If you play on the remaster and you have encounters off like I do, you can finish it in like 10. So what it ends up being is this pick and choose. You get these artifacts that say you put a mailbox over here. This is your home. If you put a bunch of blocks here, you get a town. You put this thing over here, this spoon, you get the underworld because a spoon reflects the land of the dead for some reason, you know, that sort of thing. But you got about 30 or 40 of these areas that you go through and you got 70 different missions and you can choose what way you want to do it. And if you're in that mode that you want to play a game where you don't really want a, a massive story, but you want a decent enough story, the problem is it does undercut itself when you have to do this like pick and choose mentality Unless you specifically focus on one of the main story arcs, a lot of the stuff kind of feels lacking because you end up finding out that a lot of these characters don't amount to much. So the main story arcs are good, but they're also like, well, you have three of them, so you don't have one singular story. So if you're looking for Secret of Mana with a singular story, based as it was, it was still a single story. This is like three minor stories propping up a full game, like a like an adventure book. Uh, choose your, as I said before, a choose your own adventure. So, the benefit is that all of these places look amazing. All of these places feel amazing, and that has to do with the music and the the visuals, the visual style, whether it's the original or the remaster, looks like a picture book, a watercolor phenomena like just take a children's storybook and transplant it into a video game and you get this like cool disney-esque looking thing like what what a disney forest is or a cartoon you know kids like game would be but you you have this just lush environment to fall through and all these different areas are different you've got a lake you've got a pirate ship you've got forests you've got this bone fortress or two of them actually um my favorite is the ruined city of the jumi and it's just this amazing walking path this strata of four different levels of this circular area just bejeweled just every kind of jewel you can think of everywhere lining the streets and lining the world and that's where they would have inhabited if they'd still be still be alive and it gives you this eerie sense and all the music. The music is really what I think anybody should play this game for. To learn, much like Chrono Cross, to listen to these songs in their context and understand why they're so special. And the remaster does a very good job. I don't think the Secret of Mana remaster did a very good job of expressing how good the songs can be half of them did but then the other half went off into these weird tangents this was a solid 
A-plus effort across the board to remaster these songs the way they were meant to be, and a lot of them, especially the battle themes, are amazing. Uh, Yokoshima Mura did Kingdom Hearts, Super Mario RPG, Final Fantasy XV, but for my money, this is her best work, and a lot of it comes down to creating an ambiance, whether you're in an adventure, you're in a hectic situation with multiple boss fights and things, you've got this bejeweled city, my god! The Jumi arc is amazing. The Bejeweled City, a lot of the great music is in the Jumi arc. I just, oh god, I spent um, about five or ten minutes just shutting my mouth and letting the letting you know during the episode of the Bejeweled City, I just sat there, silent, wandering around, letting the music play out so I could let people listen to it. It's so good. But again, you could hear this on a YouTube judge for yourself, but then you get the context of why this place is so important and why these battles are so good and then the remastered versions are really fucking amazing. So the visuals are great. The music is top notch. So where is the problem? Well, again, the story is kind of haphazard because of the way they designed it, but really what drags Legend of Mana down is the battle system. Mana's never been that great in making a battle system because Secret of Mana had the rings where you'd stop the menus and you'd always have to press the... You'd have to spend five or ten seconds casting a spell, and in the original, the casting of spells was the only real way to do damage or you charge weapons. The remaster of Secret of Mana made it so you can use weapons, you know, at normal strength and do fine. Um... But still, you had to deal with the the ring mechanic to slow things down. This doesn't do as bad. It's focusing more on, like, almost like a 2D brawler kind of aesthetic, where you stay in line with an enemy and you strike him. But if you don't have the right weapons, you can spend forever taking time to do it. I remember choosing the nunchuck or flail weapon, and it took forever to beat bosses. So I went with a two-handed weapon, and sure... It wasn't on the hardest difficulty at all, but you can make harder decisions and, you know, fight them the way you want. But none of the battles ever felt super hard unless you got caught against a wall or a specific enemy that would stun lock you. Um, magic was also kind of insufficient because when you could just hack and slash your way to victory, you have these magic spells that take two or three seconds to charge, and they're cool effects, but not anything to write home about damage-wise. So mages end up being useless. You get these NPCs that do some damage, but a lot of the NPCs just wander around and meander while you're trying to gather experience for yourself and gather weapons and you know items and money. So the battles end up becoming kind of mindless. And when you're dealing with the original, you backtrack a lot. I spoke about the end of the Dragoon arc. Um, there are other areas in the game, like the ruins with the, f there's these flowers that act as these switches to these like doors and things. And if you mess up, you got to go through the area again and have to go through it in the remaster. Thank fucking Christ. They have random encounters where you can turn them off. So if you're backtracking, you can take this super long area because you're backtracking so much and fighting the same fucking enemies over and over. You end up cutting that down to something a little bit more manageable. But at the same time, what you're basically saying to me is, I don't have to fight anything in a game about fighting. So you're caught between, do I want to backtrack and fight more and drive myself insane, like in the Tower of Layras, you know, 
which is this big fucking tower. If you go in the wrong direction, you're fighting over and over. Or do you turn this into a 10 or 15 minute jaunt that doesn't really mean anything? It's just a sightseeing tour when the enemies don't really matter. The bosses aren't really all that difficult. So the battle system lets you down. So it becomes a frustrating mess. And, you know, Mana in general is a bit of a frustrating franchise because it has its it has its benefits. It has its fun. You know, you get to do all these cool things like tempering weapons and, you know, using instruments to gather materials and you can breed monsters and they and some of those mechanics are crazy and in um or just expansive that was the word i was looking for expansive i remember a guy used a tempering guide to show off how to temper weapons and he spent like an hour showing how to do it <laughs> like there's so much you can do whether it's the right way or the wrong way to do these you know specific things you don't have to do them the one thing I will say is that you're allowed to do what this game that you want. If you want to experience the story like I did, if you want to experience the story in visuals, you can. You have to kind of contend with the battle system being kind of crap. Um, but again, the visuals and the music, you want to get the vibe of the world. You want to, even though the stories don't mean as much because they're in three separate story arcs, the characters are still good. The writing is still decent for the, you know, it's not going to beat like Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger or something like that. I mean, Secret of Mana wasn't the best storytelling-wise anyway. Uh, neither was Secret of Mana 2. I think Secret of Mana 2 or Seiken Densetsu 3 was better in that regard. But still, Mana's been, you know, a step down in the storytelling mark. But again, the visuals and the, the the music help you kind of feed the emotion of the scene a little bit more. So you still you still get enjoyment. This is a fun game at the end of the day. If you're able to deal with the battle system being a little hackneyed and less than stellar, if you're able to deal with some of the backtracking and just unfulfilling bosses like you'd expect that the final bosses of the story arcs would be difficult. They're not. Um, you can still get a good experience out of it. I think Legend of Mana is one of those games that doesn't hit the heights that the other RPGs did. This came out the same year as Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy IX. And Final Fantasy VIII is still better than this. Um, even though I have many issues with Final Fantasy VIII, it's still a more complete game. This is more, hey, I wanted a 20-hour RPG or a 15-hour RPG. I want something lighter. I want something fun. It'll fit the bill. Is it better than Final Fantasy IX? Fuck no. Is it better than Chrono Trigger? Fuck no. But it still has its place. And I'm still happy I played it. I'm happy that Mana at least is getting some notoriety back and is still getting... They're finally starting to re-release the old games again. They're, st they're finally starting to get something with the franchise again. And I, I think there is something to be said about Mana as a franchise that they had so much going on in the 90s and then they just kind of stopped. But they're finally starting to bring it back. They're finally starting to do something with it. And I, I would love a, another chance at a Mana game someday. Hopefully not like a mobile game or something like that. But, you know, again, I think if you're just looking for a 20-hour RPG that's, you know, B-minus, 
almost a B plus in some instances, something to get you going and something to feel good about, you're going to, you're going to find a good time here. You're not going to come here expecting the heights of the Final Fantasy franchise. At most, you'll probably get mid-tier Final Fantasy quality in a decent short-term package. But again, this was at the time when Square Enix could release these and almost not fail. This was still in that era where the uh, Square Enix was almost on fire, and it still has its place. So if you're looking to re-experience those early to late 90s like glory days this is certainly gonna fit the bill let's see and next week we're going to have some fun let me look up my schedule here i'm in a bit of a lurch because i'm trying to figure out i'm coming off a of vacation so i'm trying to figure out my working schedule for podcasts here but let's get that set up here. And let's see here. Because I know Drag uh, Donkey Kong Country is coming soon, as is Final Fantasy as well. So I think what we're going to do we're going to do Final Fantasy IV at some point. I know I keep saying that, and I keep saying that, and I keep saying that, and it's going to happen. Trust me on this, it's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, here we go. Sorry for the sorry for the little bit of delay here, but let's see how the schedule is coming out. We've got Shadow's House next week. So Shadow's House is a lot like Emma was, and we'll have that released. We're going to do Final Fantasy IV or Donkey Kong Country. And I believe... Actually, we don't have anything set up as far as another anime. But I had just completed Tiger and Bunny. And Tiger and Bunny was a Netflix show I rewatched fairly recently. So we'll add that in, actually. So... Tiger and Bunny. I'm doing this in real time, so boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Scheduling in real time because I was on vacation, so sorry it's taking a little time. But there we go. We've got Shadow's House Season 1 because it's been released for a second season. Um, Donkey Kong Country or Final Fantasy 4, and then Tiger and Bunny. Now, with Tiger and Bunny, I'm going to only focus on the first season or two of Netflix. They released a movie, and they released a um, kind of a side series 10 years after the fact. I'm only going to be reviewing kind of the main story arc, the one that I rewatched for 26 episodes or so. I think Tiger and Bunny is really freaking good, and I'm kind of annoyed that Netflix had it in Netflix jail for so long. Um, but Tiger and Bunny was really good, and I really jazzed about talking about it. Tiger and Bunny is this really cool, like, think of The Incredibles if it was like a reality show. Um, superheroes fighting people in a TV show for points, you know, that kind of thing. But done in an anime. So we've got that scheduled. We've got Shadow's House next week. We've got Final Fantasy Four or Donkey Kong Country. It's probably going to be Donkey Kong Country. And then Tiger and Bunny. Uh, maybe next week I'll plan it so I'll actually have the list in front of me next time. But hey, that's that. 
And I will mention that coming up soon, we're actually going to be up into the one-year mark of these podcasts. And I remember starting these podcasts on a whim and thinking that I was kind of shocked at how much they were, you know, people were interested in them and talked about them. I think mostly Phoenix Wright and whatever. But again, I think these are great as an outlet to kind of get my stuff out there because during a YouTube video or a Twitch stream, I can't really talk much about a franchise. I can't dig into a franchise the way I kind of want to. So the cool thing about having done this for a year is that things have started to, you know, solidify. And I know what, what my strategy is and how to do this. Um, at some point, I do want to celebrate the one-year mark with some of the things I've talked about, some of the ways I've processed how to do these videos, and also kind of go over what I look for in a game or an anime and then what I don't look for. A lot of you can probably tell what my pet peeves are and what my strengths and weaknesses for a certain franchise are. But I think for my, you know, one-year mark episode, which is coming up in a couple months, that's kind of where I'm going to go with it as far as a one-year spectacular is say, this is what I look for in a game, or this is what I look for in an anime, and then this is what drives me nuts. You know, so a sort of positives and negatives, because that's been kind of my thing, is trying to be positive, and then when I'm trying to be negative, still try to spin it in a positive way. So we'll get to that point at some point where we're going to have the one-year spectacular sometime in late June. But for now, we're going to deal Shadow's House, Donkey Kong Country, Tiger and Bunny. And we'll get to that one-year mark eventually. But that should do it for me, and I'll see you guys next time. Citizen Strive, signing off.